You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Stebbings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Hello and welcome to episode number 249 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. We're back, it's Carlos here and with me in the studio as always is Matt Smith. Hello everyone, how are we? How, are we, are we well I hope we're not as stuffed as I am. It's been a, it's been a rather boozy Christmas, I'm not going to lie. Mince pies <laughs> all round and socks and uh, the, the relevant socks underwear. And pa- hey now look here, Now I rely very heavily <laughs> on my annual uh, Christmas stock up of, of new boxer shorts and new socks. socks. Absolutely. To be fair, Nev had his socks last year, didn't oh, did you, you, Nev? Yeah, did he you, had his Concord ones. I did, yes. Yeah, and very nice they are too. But uh, yes, like you two, I'm feeling equally fat. So uh, uh, the, the diet starts on the 1st of January again, like mm. it did last year. Oh, dear. Yes, and continues all year round. Yeah, absolutely. I think, <laughs> I think we'll all be doing a bit of that this year, I think. <laughs> so we've got an awesome show lined up for you guys and girls this week. And uh, we are going to hand things over to Nev to introduce uh, what is a awesome segment yes it certainly is and uh, up next it's time for part four of the excellent interview that captain nick did with sir richard johns we joined this part of the interview with some detail about the speed of which sir richard managed to climb the ranks of the royal air force um moving on to your uh, later career which you know, you, you seem to move from post to post and rank to rank in what I would consider supersonic speed. That's an exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> but brilliant. You did some fascinating jobs. Uh, and and I, I think it's very easy for those outside the service to understand what kind of responsibilities you took. And what, what was your favourite job? And, uh, and what aspect do you think you did best at? Oh, crikey. I suppose the job which gave me, um, well, it's very difficult to answer the question in the sense that, you know, if you divide your life in the service into three segments, you know, being squadron pilot, you know, up to possibly being a squadron commander, I mean, that life was different from being a force commander and station commander at Goodisloe up until, what, certainly about two-star rank, and then two-star rank and above, your life is different again. And... You know, you're, you're almost, you're not quite comparing apples and oranges. But I, I suppose if I look back on the, the totality of my career, the job which I got most satisfaction from, um, and dare I say, mostly pleasure from, was being force command, Harrier Force Command and Station Commander at Goodisloe. Again, I was extended there again, I did nearly three years, and this is because of an exercise called Lionheart. Um, which was the biggest reinforcement of British forces in Germany that had been done since the war. And I was told, right, you're not going when you should go. You've got to stay on another four or five months or whatever to see this exercise through. I'm glad I did. Uh, it, it was a hugely, you know, it, it was just the challenge of the job. One of those jobs where you get up in the morning and you can't wait to get into work. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, and I, I was flying three different types of airplanes. I was flying, obviously, the Harrier still. And then I, I converted onto the Puma before I went there. And I converted on the Chinook when I was there. Um, I mean, it really was great fun and hugely, hugely enjoyable. I, I think apart we all... from commanding the whole thing <laughs> and seeing the whole shooting match, you know, Air Force and all our soldiers, because you see, both forces were off-base deployed forces, and so we had large contingents of sappers, Royal Engineers, and Royal Signals, um, who worked with us. Um, and when you saw that lot on song, uh, well, it really was going for it. Uh, it, uh, I mean, 
I was power crazy. But, you know, it really gave you a huge feeling of, 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 of uh, professional satisfaction. And to see the guys doing it and, and, and enjoying doing it as well was, was just hugely rewarding. Yes, I can't imagine. It sounds fantastic. It was fun. Um, moving on to the later part of your career, you mentioned that, uh, and you do in your book dwell for a while, on the infighting that you sometimes observe between politicians and even heads of service, and how it, particularly in the services, more interaction, more cooperation was required. That was seen to be in direct contrast with your experiences in the lower ranks, when you often at joint headquarters uh, and operational commands, you got on very well with the other services and were able to cooperate and get things done. Why was it a little bit different when you were at the higher ranks? I, I, I don't think so much, dare I say, in, in the higher ranks. I mean, the time that it really came home to me was when I was Director of Air Staff Briefing, and this was in the, the time of the Not Defence Review, um, in 1980, 80, 80, 81, 81, yes, around about then. It, whatever, it was, it was before the Falklands War. And uh, as ever, we, we had a new administration. It was uh, Prime Minister Thatcher, Thatcher's administration. Um, as ever, there was you know, financial problems and so on. And uh, the spotlight, as ever, was on the Ministry of Defence to cut back uh, spending. Mark you, we were spending at the time 5 6% of GDP uh, on, on defence. And when the uh, review started, the atmosphere amongst the uniformed staff, certainly within the Ministry of Defence, was pretty poisonous. Basically what happened, well, my perception was at the time, as CAS's briefing officer, um, was that the army sat on the fence. Uh, they weren't too worried because they had their 65 kilometres of front uh, in, the, uh, in, in the central region to defend. They had the forces to defend, all of which had been declared uh, to NATO. Um, and then, of course, most importantly, well, of similar, if not greater importance, was Northern Ireland, uh, with the battalions all you know, rotating through there from Germany and so on and so forth. So I think they felt that, uh, you know, Nothing of this is going to hurt us. So it boiled down, as ever at that time, to a dogfight between the Army, sorry, sorry, the Navy and, and the Air Force. And the relationships between the two services in the Ministry of Defence were awful. And I can, you know, I, you know being, I used to have this sort of two other corridors. I think I've said in there, I mean, there were some naval officers, staff officers, who wouldn't speak to me. Um, it was because they knew I was CS's briefing officer, etc. And I can remember going to various meetings when we were trying to hammer out papers that were going to be presented to the chiefs of staff for discussion, you know, some really bitter arguments uh, going on there. And so it was bad. It really was bad. Um, later on, um, during, the, during the post-Cold War period, uh, the RAF really uh, did come under the hammer in a big way. I think that the first exercise to find this so-called peace dividend, which I thought was a nonsense in it, we'd already enjoyed the peace dividend of you know four decades plus of peace in Europe. Mm. But the Pollock, no, it's got to be a peace dividend. You know, the Cold War's over, broad sunlit uplands and so on and so forth. More money, uh, money out of defence. And they started options for change. That was the first one. Well, it doesn't exactly give you any options for change. It doesn't actually reek to me of a sort of government strategy at all. What are they looking at? 
And then we had Gulf War One, just after the decisions have made to impose very radical cutbacks in terms of loss of squadrons and so on, people in the Air Force. We had Gulf War One, and the moment that was finished, down came the axe. Squadrons going left, right, and centre, which had fought during the Gulf War. Manpower suddenly sort of coming down from 93,000, I forget initially, to, I forget, 60, 70, a substantial cut anyway. And it was though the Gulf War had never happened. And that's what really got me at the time. Um, and then no sooner had you got through that wave than they went on to another one that was called Frontline First or Defence Cost Studies, which was supposed to look at all the support functions and the rest of it, the usual MOD, civil service, treasury music of, uh, well, we'll take money out of there to improve the strength of the front line and so on. And it, was a, it really was a miserable period um, for the Royal Air Force. Um, People thought in the MOD, and I think the other two services thought that the Air Force got it pretty lightly after defence costs, sorry, the first one, options for change. And if, if you like, within the Ministry of Defence, there was a, a feeling in some quarters that, well, we'll sort the Air Force out now with, uh, with defence cost studies. And for all sorts of reasons, which I don't, don't want to go into in here, but I've written about it in the book. You know, it was a bad time for the Air Force. So what happens then is, you know, come uh, 97, you have an election. I mean, anyone with an ounce of, you know, nous would have known that the new Labour were going to get in. And that inevitably meant there was going to be a defence review, because they said they were going to do a defence review as part of, I remember, their election uh, man manifesto. Whereas the money that the Conservatives were taking up, bang, 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 at that time, in my view, of course, that was all being sort of chucked into uh, vote-winning bits of defence, not defence, of, of government expenditure. When, as I say, anyone with an ounce of common sense knew they were going to lose the election anyway. That's precisely what happened. We then had the uh, Strategic Defence Review of 97-98. I met up uh, very early on with the first Sea Lord, who was uh, Admiral Jock Slater, who remains a friend to this day. And we both agreed that everyone would expect the, arm, the Navy and the Air Force to be at each other's throats. We both remembered the bad times of the early 80s. And we decided, we decided, we both agreed it would be a good thing if we stopped this happening. And we only went up the ladder, as it were, to, uh, to um, get political direction or indeed to explain our difficulties to CDS if we couldn't actually hammer out agreement between the two of us. And that's precisely what we managed to do. So I think that in the SDR of 97-98, the animosities that had been so febrile before had quietened down and people took, I think, a much more balanced and sensible view to what was required for the defence of the, of the country. And I think the Strategic Defence Review, as it was run by George Robertson, and John Reed uh, specifically, was a good exercise in the circumstances of the time until, of course, it came to paying the bill, which uh, right at the end, which the good chancellor at the time, Gordon Brown, didn't cough up for. Well, he didn't cough up the whole lot that was required. Of course, it's been a very difficult uh, few decades for the armed services, and yes. particularly the Royal Air Force, with uh, diminishing funds, uh, shrinking in size, but yet with still enormous and often very dangerous 
conflicts for us to fight in. We've hardly uh, had a period of what we would term peace for a considerable length of time. How, how do those two measure up? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you straight out. I mean, since the end of the Cold War, not one day has gone by when the Royal Air Force has not been committed to operations somewhere in the world that range from high intensity conflict at one end of the scale and to humanitarian relief at the other. I don't think the general public realise that. No, they don't. Funny enough, I was, I, enough, I, was, I was up at uh, Newcastle University uh, a week or so ago giving a sort of centennial appraisal of the Royal Air Force to their defence faculty. And I made that point very strongly that if you go back to the mid-90s, when the Air Force was reducing from a service of about 93,000 under government edict down to a service at that stage of 55,000, with redundancies, contractorization, civilianization, and so on, at one and the same time, the operational demands on the service was steadily increasing. And I mean, uh, uh, figures I can roll off the top of my head. If you look, for example, at the Balkans, who today remembers that between 1994 and 1996, sorry, 1992 and 1996, a four-year period, the Royal Air Force Hercules were delivering 20 tonnes of supplies a week into Sarajevo. More than 20% of the total UN airlift into the besieged city of Sarajevo was transported by the Royal Air Force. No one knows about that today. No one knows, again, in the very same year, that we spent 6,000 hours flying our combat aircraft, Harriers, Jaguars, Tornadoes, over North and South Iraq, um, imposing the no-fly zones uh, uh, as, in, uh, as mandated by the United Nations. No one knows that we were doing 10,000 hours of flying over the Balkans, imposing the no-fly zone as mandated by the United Nations. And that's just our combat aircraft. That's no mention at all of our combat support aeroplanes like tankers, air transport, AWACS and so on. And so we were doing this vast amount of effort. But one at the same time, the fighting strength of the Air Force and the, the manning of the Air Force and, uh, and the, the demands on our engineers were huge. And then people will say, well, you've got a retention problem. Why have you got a retention problem? Well, I can tell you why you've got a retention problem. You moved on to uh, a NATO job, which I, I understand was uh, one of the joys of your career, a fascinating job. Perhaps you can explain a little more about that. Well, at the end of the Cold War, we weren't the only people searching for a peace dividend. And this was obviously very... Uh, the NATO, European NATO members were very... were all doing precisely the same thing, I trying to cut down defence expenditure. And one of the things they looked at was a reorganisation of the structure of Allied Command Europe. And it was decided that the, the, the then uh, Allied forces, Northern Europe, um, would become uh, a, a slightly larger command in terms of geographical area, Northwest Europe, and that the headquarters would be taken uh, out of uh, Norway and would be brought back to the United Kingdom. And uh, this was to be a new joint command. It was going to be the new face of NATO in the sense it was going to be an electronic command headquarters using widespread IT uh, for the very first time in NATO and, and so on and so forth. And um, what basically happened was we stood the headquarters up in, I forget, about July 94. Um, John Thompson, who was 
expected to take over as CAS in a couple of years' time, moved from being CNC strike to be the first commander-in-chief Allied Forces Northwest Europe. I took over as CNC strike commander. I've been the DCNC, so there wasn't exactly a change of uh, circumstances all that much. And uh, very sadly, John went there and uh, he suffered a couple of strokes and not to cut, cut, a, long, not to cut a short story, so an absolute tragedy, he died uh, all within a matter of, of a week. Oh, wow. Um, just about, just after he'd taken uh, command of AF Northwest. And a week later, I was told I was going now from Strike Command to take over that job, basically to set up the new headquarters, brand new NATO headquarters. And so I only did six weeks as six CNC strike command before I went across to Afghanistan. Another bolt from the blue. You're dead right. Uh, that was a bolt from the blue. And so you go across there, and the, 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 the site of the headquarters were co-located at High Wycombe, uh, being completely built on a NATO budget. And so that was all very well and good. And it had lots and lots of IT and about nine nations represented there. And so I went across there and my job basically was to get this up to a full operating uh, capability. And the experience that I had had during Gulf War One was, and dare I say, with the Army when I was Commander Air First British Corps, was hugely uh, advantageous in this. Uh, I didn't know much about maritime operations, but I said about learning something about them. And so setting the headquarters up, exercises down in the bunker, getting people used to using... I mean, a lot of the staff officers came in who had never seen a computer before. And we arranged a course with um, some establishment in Oxford so that when they arrived, the first thing they did was to go and do a computer course, how to uh, operate a, a PC. And then they came back in and they could start tapping away. And in fact, we had an absolutely brilliant um, CIS man uh, who was a Dane, uh, Benston, Air Com uh, he was a naval commodore called Benston, I'm Benston. He was absolutely brilliant. Um, and so getting the whole thing up and running was, you know, was a challenge, but it was an enjoyable challenge when you see nine nations actually, and a majority of them, dare I say, being sailors, uh, the, the maritime bit was the heaviest in the headquarters, coming together to make this whole thing work. And then, of course, the travelling, uh, getting to know Norway. I had a flat uh, which was given to me by NATO in, in Oslo, so I could go across there regularly to make sure the Norwegians weren't feeling left out of it. The Norwegians actually gave me a, a, an office in Akershus Fortress, which was very comfortable. Well, it was a nice, quiet place. You had to write speeches and do things like that. Good place to go. And then traveling the length and breadth of Norway and finding out about the country and, and so on and so forth was brilliant. Sailing with navies, oh, great fun. I, I spent an awful lot of time you know, flogging around on the OG, learning about naval and maritime operations, spoke with the German Navy and, and the US Navy and the Royal Navy in, in, in particular. And then Partnership for Peace, big NATO um, initiative with former Warsaw Pact countries and non-aligned countries like Finland and Sweden. Getting, I got to know the Poles very well and, and the Czechs as well. And we started fixing up exercises with them, which was, you know, again, it was a path on the right way. And the, the Baltic republics, of course, were all gagging to get into NATO. And you know, going out and visiting them and seeing how the Soviet Union had left their stamp very firmly on them, particularly on their military, again, was, was absolutely fascinating. And I was trying to explain to them that it was all very well joining NATO, but 
there were certain responsibilities that came with it and so on. And of course, the reason they wanted to do this, they were terrified of uh, the Russian Federation sort of kind of pouring back in again uh, and, and so on. They wanted the Article 5 protection. My own view for what it's worth is that uh, NATO swallowed this pill far, far too quickly. And um, it was inevitably going to upset the Russians um, and that we could have handled the whole thing far more. Calmly is the wrong word, but, you know, we, we, not, not exactly kicking it into the long grass, but we could have done it in a far more measured pace and kept possibly the Russians on board uh, while we were doing it as opposed to antagonizing them perhaps by the very speed that we um, brought, particularly the Baltic Republics, into the NATO fold. But that was the wish of the NAC, you know, the North Atlantic Council. And, and there is a different type of Russian leader now. Yes, Back that's true. in the time of Gorbachev, yes. was, there are a lot more uh, friendly relations, I, I, I expect. Well, I mean, the Russians that I met, I mean, I, I didn't go, one place I didn't go to was Russia, and there were two reasons for this. I was invited to go there to go and meet the Russian uh, or the general staff in, in, in Moscow. Uh, I'd accepted the invitation, and that's just when they went in and bombed the living hell, and uh, it was absolutely disgraceful what they did. It was one of the, the smaller southwest, uh, southeastern countries. I'm sorry, the name is completely just missed me at the moment. Uh, it'll come back to me in a minute. But uh, I was just uh, when they started doing that, and Sakur, who was the uh, was an American Army general, George Jowin, phoned me up, and he said, he said, Dick, he said, I, I, I don't think it's politic to go, and I said, I absolutely agree, and I was already I was going to come to you, and so I cancelled the invitation. I said because of the, the present circumstances, mm. um, uh, and so on, I don't think it's uh, advisable for me to come and have talks with you. Well, next year. Um, the invitation was uh, reissued, and by now they've got control um, of this state. And um, this time they withdrew the invitation because I was accused of proselytizing for NATO in the Baltic Republics. <laughs> so I never got to Russia. So those of you who watch the show remember we had our awesome P2K summer flying barbecue last year. And that was uh, a pretty good day, I have to say. It was the weather was good. We had some uh, great uh, flying guests, and also some oh. guests in staying around the P2K area. Yeah. And uh, we also, while we were there, uh, got to interview a certain chap that I managed to go flying with in his long EZ. And uh, we spoke to uh, Dan about what it's like to own and fly the long EZ. Okay, so for those of you who follow us uh, on Facebook or follow uh, me on Facebook, will probably know that uh, early this week. I got the chance to go in a rather unique aircraft and it's behind us now and I'm here with the owner, Dan. Dan, welcome onto the show. Hello, nice to be here. So Dan, tell us a bit about uh, the aircraft that's sitting behind us here. Tell you a bit about, where do I start? <laughs> well, the first thing, it's a canard. Uh, it's got a little wing in the front. Um, it was designed by Burt Rutan. A very fast, uh, economical aircraft, fun to fly. Definitely, I can definitely say it is fun to fly. You seem to enjoy yourself. I, I did enjoy myself, yeah. So, Dan, how long have you had the aircraft? I've had it for nearly four years now. And, and I got my display authorization to show it around the UK about two years ago. Wow, because you were recently the uh, Great Yarmouth Air Show. I was here, in the show, yeah, that was great fun. Your first air show? No, it wasn't. No? I've done about six air shows, and that was the latest one. 
Excellent, excellent. You uh, obviously you displayed the aircraft along with other with the other aircraft there at the show. Was there other display aircraft with you as well, or any formation flying? No, it's just me as a solo <laughs> solo you? spot. Yeah, and it's it's not certified for aerobatics in the UK, so I was limited to what I could do. But uh, just showing the unique lines of the plane was the most you know prominent thing about it. So, Danny, you, you, one of the things a lot of people probably notice about the aircraft is the way it's sitting here now behind us with yeah. the nose on the floor. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for the benefit of the listeners who might not know, how does this work? You know, when you're uh, obviously because you can't taxi it like this. Mm -hmm. The reason why it's sitting on its nose is all the weight when nobody's in it's in the back of the plane, and if you lift the air, you know, I could show you. It's, um, it's very light on its nose when nobody's in it, so it would probably tip back if you kept the nose wheel down. So it's parked on its nose, just for safety, really. When you're going to get in the plane, the uh, passenger just steps on the front seat, puts his leg over into the back, and once they're in, you can lift the plane up, put the nose wheel down, and jump in. Excellent. So tell us a bit of the performance uh, specs of the aircraft end down. Uh, it's very fast considering it's only got a 115 horsepower Lycoming engine. Um, cruising economically about 130 knots. If you want to go wide open throttle at altitude, you can get it up to about 160, 170. Um, it's the same engine they put in a Cessna 150, but almost double the performance. Wow. So very economical to fly and a lot of fun to fly. So given the choice of, of the aircraft you've got up here then, Dan, it would always be the, the yeah, Long Easy. It would always be the Long Easy. Yeah, yeah. Any plans for the future for the aircraft? Are you? Um... Uh, not really. A lot of people have asked if they could buy into it, buy shares, but <laughs> I'm not really interested in that yet. <laughs> Craig. Oh, some upset people. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, how long have you been flying, Dan? I learned to fly here at Seething. It must be 14 years now, 14, 15 years ago. Um, I'm a club member. Uh, it took a while to get my license here because they only trained one day a week back then. They trained on a Saturday, so it took me nearly two years to get my license. And um, a great little club and a fun place to learn how to fly. Ah, and we are here, obviously, at the Summer Barbecue, our first PTUK barbecue. Just over there, you'll probably see uh, all the uh, guys and girls there who have joined us for uh, today's uh, barbecue. And uh, you've had some, uh, you've had some barbecue Burgers food. Burgers are great. Burgers are great. Thank you there very we go, much. Matt. You heard it here <laughs> first. So, uh, well, from the uh, barbecue, thanks, Dan, for joining Thank us. You. It's been great to talk to you. And but before you go, mm -hmm. we're going to ask you one question. Okay. And it's a question we always ask uh, any pilot we interview for the show. Mm -hmm. Put you on the spot. Question. Are you ready? Yeah, go on. Is it going to be what plane would I have? Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a listener of the show, so yes, good. But uh, given the chance, Dan, to fly any plane, mm -hmm. either retired commercial, GA, military, and you could hop in now and, and take it for a run around a circuit here at Seething, what would it be? It'd have to be a Mustang. Ah. You might get a chance later on when that I one comes so. in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great choice. So, from me, Carlos, in, and uh, we'll leave it there. So what an amazing year 2018 was. I tell you what, it, it was packed with oh air shows, meetups, yeah. and uh, one of the biggest parts of 2018, I think for both me, Matt, and Nev, was obviously our 200th oh, yeah. show over at uh, MP Simulations yeah. in uh, I, London. You know, I, I cannot believe that that was only a year ago. It feels like so mm. long ago. The, honestly, it was, oh, wasn't it amazing? It was fantastic. And uh, while we were there, we obviously had, uh, we'd done a live show, but we also had some video recording done of uh, a certain, uh, well, Nev, what, what happened? 
Well, you know, there is. A, it's obviously a, a fully, you know, commissioned professional simulator. So we had some pros with us, didn't we? So what better opportunity for them to have a go on it? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to lie. This is the moment that you've all been waiting for. It is time to welcome the pro. All good, ladies and gentlemen. All good. Here we go. It's pro time, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go then. <laughs> uh, There's little beads of uh, sweat forming uh, on Captain Jeff's temple, I'm sorry to say. Oh, he's, he's, trying, he's trying to pull levers and all sorts of things. So we're just going to stabilise at 40%. Toga, uh, you're captain, so I'll just come up behind you until thrust hold, and then it's your thrust lead. Toga's right here? No, Toga's at least, so either one, okay. whichever one. And uh, yeah, so get, get us 40 knots manual first. I'll say stabilise when, when I'm happy, and then. Oh, wow. Is that yeah. You've got the control loaded? That's it's a control loading is on it right now? No, we don't actually have control loading. So this is the way it's really going to be. This is getting very technical, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, I think Jeff's taking this seriously. 23 knot crosswind from uh, 225. <laughs> Did you hear that? 23 knots across. Is that, is that beyond the limit of the MD-88? No. Yeah, that must be up. 30 is ours. We, we're 30. Okay, it's two knots two below his normal crosswind limit. And uh, it's pouring with rain. So it's actually snow, so actually I'm going to put on the anti-ice. I wonder if you can remember to turn the igniters on. So there we go. So sorry? Oh, so, uh, you said two, two, what? Two, 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 five. Five. two, two, five. Yeah, it's, it's a direct cost. Yeah, 28. Yeah, 23. Yeah. So not, not that now, Jeff, I think Jeff's feeling just a little bit under okay, pressure here. Yeah. Right, Jeff. You can always reject if you want to. <laughs> right, no pressure. A little nervous twitch of the seat. That's it, yeah. That's Well, those engines didn't come up very much. So that's a little bit of weathercocking there from the uh, crosswind. Just a little bit going sideways, just 80 knots thrust hold, because um, we haven't got column collimated uh, screens. Wow. Just, just a little bit of, uh, uh, oh, a little bit of interwind there. Oh, he's struggling to keep it on. Now, to be fair, guys, 28 knots across an aircraft you're not familiar with flying is not easy. Which is a good job. He's 23, 23 knots. Isn't it? Yeah, okay then. Gears coming up. I wouldn't know what that. What is level change? Okay. Right through 1,000 feet, 163 knots, and accelerating. Just lovely and stable at 15 degrees. Bringing the nose down to start to accelerate. And he's going through 180 knots now. 
Coming up to 2,000 feet, he looks very under control, which is incredibly disappointing. There's not a single bead of sweat on the man's forehead. No, no. He's got uh, about seven degrees of drift. expecting to feel a little bit more resistance. Yeah. Now, you see, I think this is Jeff's... Uh, Jeff's big concern about the Airbus is that it's glass cockpit. Oh my god, look at that radar display. Fly in the green, don't fly in the red. There's a lot of yahooing from the back. 200 odd knots, nice, nice height control. He's uh, within 10 feet of his target, that's absolutely brilliant. I don't normally have a color commentary going on there. Uh, try and keep it down to uh, an absolute minimum. Uh, we need a, well, I think we need a TCAS target in there, but... Ah, <laughs> uh, there we go. Now, the thing that's upsetting me is that Jeff's using auto thrust, so we really think he ought to take the... Uh, uh, well, it's not Jeff's SOP. Yeah, we, th we really think he should. Yeah. Now the one thing I would miss uh, if I if I uh, took the other thrust out would be the trend arrow. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Has it got a trend arrow? I don't know. I'm looking now. For those who don't know, a trend arrow is a little arrow that Airbus give you to show you what your speed will be in 10 seconds time. So you can use it to judge the amount of power you need on to maintain your speed. There's a lot of tugging going on there, isn't there? <laughs> Yeah, uh, who's tugging who? That's the question. I'm just looking at Matt, and he's getting all. <laughs> family show, family show. Tugging, I said, with a tug. Yeah, family show, ladies and gentlemen, family show. Now he's about 10 miles away and just sliding himself onto the localizer. So, Nick, what do you think these do over here? Well, all those, all those little knobs. Well, one of them, presumably, is the land button. Where are they hidden it? Uh, try pulling a couple and see what happens. <laughs> There's a whole wall of circuit breakers back here. Hydraulics, do you think Jeff needs those? No, no, he's, he flies mad dogs, they don't need hydraulics. In fact, I don't think they even have hydraulics, do they? <laughs> yeah. They have a big wheel they use to crank the gear up. <laughs> okay. Alright, it's 170 knots. Uh, just waiting for the glide slope to come arrive. Is he on the localizer? Yeah, he's more or less on the localizer. He's close yeah, enough for government work. Yeah, with a dot two. Excellent. Just down there, the diamond at the bottom. Yeah. Well, the the uh, localizer diamonds turn solid, so I presume that means something. Absolutely. I mean, Jeff's more familiar to do with those cone of silence approaches, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A, uh, a, a circling approach from the overhead. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. He's flashing all these numbers around. Uh, yeah, yeah. Two and a half. I'm not quite sure what two and a half is. Two and a half engines? Yeah. Oh, you see, it's all pitching at you know. Yeah. The pitch picture, I can't even say that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just not used to that. 
Now, Captain Jeff, how are you feeling right now? Oh, I'm feeling great. This is. Oh, really? How's it doing? How's that localizer coming? <laughs> it's flashing yellow. What's that mean? Uh, time to go around. Uh, well, I don't know. I haven't heard the song yet. Hey, there's two. There's two sets of barbers' poles. That's a bit of a worry. Yeah, we changed our flaps again, didn't we? Yeah. Okay. So you've got flap 30 now. We've got landing flap. I'll give you the landing checklist. We have uh, engine start switches continuous. Speed brakes armed. Uh, landing gear down. Flaps 30. Yeah. Green light. And uh, we have also had clearance to land. So you're on your own. No pressure. Right, there, right. We'd like a commentary, please, Jeff. I'll uh, keep an eye out for the runway. <laughs> You're doing a fine job with your uh, commentary. <laughs> All right, well, 150 ground, knots. Ground contact. I'm assuming V refs about 142. I'm giving it a 150. Ah, okay. Yeah, v refs was the 140. Yeah, exactly 142. Yeah. So the crosswind for landing, same as for. What's the, what wind have we got here? Uh, 225 is not quite the same. Oh, he's got a wee bit of tailwind by the looks of it. And 25 knots across at the moment. Yeah. This is not going to be an easy approach. But it's a nice long runway at Kennedy, isn't it? So, actually, one three left is not particularly long. Well, not for a three forty, but for uh, for this little this little mother, I expect it would uh, be quite happy to. Uh, watching everybody else do this yeah yeah VFR. Can, can I just point out uh, Jeff everyone else did really really well okay <laughs> I'm impressed so far though yeah absolutely uh, he hasn't even lost an engine yet no but there's always time <laughs> that's true I can hear the call as we had 400 feet 300 Approaching that, didn't that sound like Jeff saying that? So just like him, did he voice over these calls? Oh, look at that! He's got a reds and whites. That's looking very nice. I don't think he had his seat quite high enough. Oh, whoop whoop! Pull up! Whoop whoop! Shut up! Oh, a little bit of kick. Now we're down some more. And we're staying on the runway. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this 737 is a monster. Slither, 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 slither. No, you can't do another one. Oh, come on, guys. Give him a big round of applause. Well done. Yay! <laughs> there you go. Well done. Nice job. Well done, Captain Jeff. Good luck. So has this helped you with your future fleet choice, Jeff? Yeah, I'm not going to fly the 737. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I was doing the landing rollout, I was thinking I wish that I had adjusted the rudder pedals so I could actually deflect them. Like full deflection. Yeah, I was... <laughs> I think I have spasms in my calves right now. <laughs> so the hard thing for me was this new display that I'm used to. I'm used to the old display, the six-pack, and I wasn't—I I was trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be looking at. Yeah, it would be tough. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's, it's so different to the Airbus display. I don't think I'm going to have any great advantage from uh, having flown the Airbus. I mean, I was, All this I was basically following the flight director because I really didn't know what else to look at. I saw the expanded uh, glide soap and expanded localizer, but that's it. I, was, I kept looking for my normal HSI display with the 
localizer right. in Wide Spike. It's open. I didn't know where to go. Oh, I'm for trying it. to think. I'm, I'm just trying to think how CLK. I'm just thinking ahead of mine. Uh, how it bears in comparison with the uh, IGS into Hong Kong. Because mm -hmm. it's sort of out in that area, but you so probably. 19 gusting 25 in snow at Gibraltar. It's got, it's got to be euphemism for something. <laughs> I've got the rock inside. Yeah. Hey, get your rocks so, off. By the way, Steph, we're all very impressed. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's, it does throw me off a little bit. I looked out and like there's a little bit of an offset on the screen. Mm -hmm. So I kept thinking yeah, I was we were going to the right. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah, we yeah, weren't. So. Uh, you did, uh, you did a very nice landing. Very nice. And yep. the nice thing about me is that I don't have to do anything. I can just make complete balls up. <laughs> like, that's me. Uh -huh. You know, honestly, the hardest thing for me was these controls didn't feel like they were really connected. Giving me any kind of feedback. It was like, yeah, like they weren't connected. Okay, right, here we go. Out of Gibraltar, around the rock, and back in again, I'm guessing. So they read the FMA in a similar way to uh, we do in the Airbus, except that Cal hasn't said a thing. He's gone through 100 knots. I guess he's going to get to V1 shortly. There you go, has a V1 call out. Al's having a quick tug and uh, he's off. Right. He's obviously completely ignoring the flight directors. He's completely ignoring the flight directors there, obviously, just for advice. And well, when you, yeah, we can see it. It's behind you. Al's already complaining that uh, he can't see enough. Right, we're doing 170 knots, 180 knots. I have no idea where the airplane is capable of flying around clean. Obviously, it is. And we're now descending at a high rate of knots. <laughs> the gear's already coming down. The is really, really sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is very sensitive. So, what we'll do is I'll just pull out on the heading select yeah. around. Luckily, Paul. I'll join it up to the yeah. LNAV. Paul has a pretty good idea of what he's doing, so... Uh, Al's got a nice uh, solid 30 degrees of bank on, so all the champagne will be uh, slopping around in the glasses down at the back. That's a pretty good rate of turn there, Al. Not exactly F-18, but that's not bad. <laughs> Well, everything looks vaguely under control, which is slightly disappointing. <laughs> and he's even trying to pretend he's looking out the window. That's very good, Al. Ah, the wings haven't come off yet. Where's the G-meter, by the way? I haven't found that <laughs> one yet. Bloody hell, that trim motor's going. Does it self-trim itself at all, or is that all you, Al? That's all me. Oh, yeah. Right, you want to keep your hands clear of those wheels, don't you? That's it, 
worst thing is, yeah, if you leave the uh, manual lever out and get your knee over there. Ah! These knee caps that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that trim wheel spinning away. 225 knots. He, he was going to go to V&E and back again, but... Well, I guess we're kind of not a lot to see outside. We're just kind of downwindish. Heading out to swing back into the right, and presumably we'll get a view of the rock round there. That was just a little hint. Yeah. We would normally do this base turn at uh, landing config because you're okay. He wants to uh, he wants to configure a little early because he's obviously finding this this high speed work just a little bit difficult. Well, it's quite a maneuver at low level, really. The All right. Zero nine at Gibraltar. Well, we're down at uh, 1,900 feet and going down fast, so. Uh, Now there's a nice first officer who sees his captain descending and says, oh, well, well you need to be at a low altitude anyway, captain. <laughs> uh, where's this Spanish airspace then that we've uh, missed? Was that after takeoff? Yeah. Oh, it's right in front of you now, is it? Yeah, we're in Algeciras Bay at the minute. The oil refinery's off to our left. Well, can you not beat it up while we're here? Um, you quite often find Spanish helicopters about half a mile off your left wing. Oh, really? Sp Spanish helicopters? Really? Yeah. Oh, that'd be fun. Do they have miniguns in them? Well, there's a lot of levers being whacked around here. We're down to uh, flat 15 now. I think there's only one more setting to go for it. Oh, no, there's a couple more. This is a flat 40 landing. Oh, right, okay. Let's just make things really complicated and have about 10 flap sittings. <laughs> right. Well, Al's doing it good as far as I can tell. I mean, I've no idea what I'm looking at. I can <laughs> it's just sea out there. Yeah, I've got the runway inside. I've got the we could be about to land on the Mary Celeste for all I know. <laughs> Alright, he hasn't taken the auto thrust out. I noticed Jeff was brave enough to take the auto thrust out, but Al's not Al's not gone there yet. Oh. All whites at the moment. I would looks like we're a wee bit high. Oh and there's the rock. Well we missed that, thank God. Uh, a little, little sink rate call out there. That'll be his first ASR. That's his second ASR. And now we've gone from four whites to four reds. Hey, this is looking more like it. I don't have to do much to follow this. <laughs> What's the crosswind? We've got 18, 19 knots across. That's a pretty average captain's day. All right, we got back to a white. Oh, look, and we're in on back on three degrees. All right. A little bit of uh, stick thrashing going on here. Uh, a couple of extra reds than we needed. Uh, 
First off, is getting a wee bit nervous. That, oh, I think we hit the backstops there on the flare. But, hey, we're on the runway. Reverses are out. We're staying vaguely straight. The Spanish are waving their fists. We don't roll off the end. That's expensive. And he's, he can tell he's getting nervous. He wanted Max to celebrate. We haven't even got to the uh, landing uh, zone yet. In fact, we've come to a grinding halt on the runway. Nice job. Hey, well done, mate. I enjoyed all those uh, oh, extra calls well at the end. What do you think of that, Jeff? Uh, muted, oh, muted applause, I would say. A true pro. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You could tell when he was... Uh, Flying the airplane and trimming it, he let go of the uh, yoke to see if it was properly trimmed. Did he really? Yeah. Several I thought times. he was just letting go going along the yoke because he was giving up. <laughs> right, now for the pro. Yeah. <laughs> hey, mate, I, uh, I've never <laughs> flown a bang. I don't want to. I think I'm just. Uh, can we go to the bar now? <laughs> no. Okay. How are you feeling now, Jeff? Is the heart rate back down into double oh, figures? Yeah. yeah. Put it out. I see you put the gum in. That's, that's for concentration, yeah? Is that just a use of approach and landing gum that goes straight in at 10,000, yeah? <laughs> in, my, in my former airline, I used to, uh, we used to have a guy who used to put his gloves on for landing. You know, the kid leather gloves? Yeah, yeah. You're obviously a gum man. Yeah. So you're in familiar territory here, Nick. I mean, it's, it's you know, Hong Kong. You've been there many times. Uh, not for about 17 years. Oh, we can have a... do have the ILS, though. The IGS. IGS, yeah. The difference between ILS and IGS, gentlemen? I don't know what IGS is. I've never heard it's of it. It's an instrument guidance system, yeah. isn't it? So yeah. it's not aligned to the runway in any way, shape, or form. Identical systems, but the IGS is something that will just guide you to a rock. Yeah. So you're feeling comfortable, Nick? Absolutely. This kind of fits me, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we are still I mean, I mean, it uh, should be fairly family show, ladies old, and gentlemen. Family show. <laughs> it reminds me of the Phantom, actually. Or perhaps the Hunter. That might be more this generation. Sopworth Camel. Mm. Don't open the window, there's no getting out. <laughs> Where are the, where's the escape rope? It's, 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 it's right, we're trimmed. Uh, I've got uh, in the box. I've oh. got the IGS 13, but we've also got the um, ILS. Oh, it's 088 now. Yeah, it's, it's changed. The uh, <laughs> magnetic variation has changed. That's going to make so all the, the difference to Nick. And so where's where's uh, the IGS orientated? The IGS is orientated roughly down the pink line, down your. Uh, okay, so down, so that is an RNAV approach. Oh, okay, as, well, right. as well, but I've got the IGS in, which we won't see until we get up. Right, uh, but once we get up to sort of fifteen hundred feet, you'll you'll see it come in. And that's the the runway there, sure. extended center line. Yeah, that's the extended center oh, oh, line. Oh, this piece of And it's only what twelve miles away. <laughs> Once again, ladies and gentlemen, just a warning that obviously Captain Nick is in charge of a Boeing product. Therefore, apologies in advance for any foul language that may or may not be following in the preceding broadcast. It's interesting because as soon as it gets out of trim, it's really out of trim, isn't it? Did you notice as you got slower, you were actually having to trim forward? Yeah. That's the black one. Yeah. Okay. 
And you don't mind if I fly uh, manual thrust once we get off? Absolutely. Thank you very much. So just before we get airborne, do you have a last will and testament in place, Nick? Yeah, and you're not going to get anything. Ah. <laughs> Any time today, Nick. Any time. Yeah. Little airplane. There's plenty of runway left. Rotate. And we're airborne. Positive rate, please. Gear up. Positive rate. Oh, it's on rails. We can say A and B. A, A, B, A, So you see, you've got the ILS or the IGS coming now. Do you want to line up with it? Yeah. Okay, so the clock's on. That's it. Oh, it's on rails, folks. It's like poetry in motion. The profanities are kicking in now as the pressure builds. Alright, all right, this is us on the uh, glide slopes coming off. The IGS slopes coming up already. Excellent. I'm going to take the off Oh, that's it, right. He's doing a Captain Jeff here, folks. The automatics have been disengaged. Yeah, well, I'm sure we can manage this. You, I, I'll trust you to wax some more flap out when we need yeah. it. Yeah, is that a technical term, whack it out? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Oh dear, we're 120 feet lower. Can we, uh, can we keep about uh, 80 to 180 for the moment? Oh, sure, okay. I'm going to come down and be rested. Whatever you fancy, sir. Well, what we do is we just... Um, Get it down onto oh, okay, the right. slope. Yeah, because this airplane will stall. <laughs> nah, surely not. No one would build an airplane that would actually stall. Who would be so stupid? Alright, let's get a bit more of that. So, how much flat we got? Oh, we got five. Okay, Trend arrow. It does have a trend arrow. Oh, that's quite modern. Yeah. Now, what does the flashing uh, on the yellow on the um, IGS markers mean? The glide slope and localizer flash yellow. Does that mean something? 
point where we must have the uh, both autopilots on for auto land. Oh okay, well, that's obviously Okay, glide slopes alive, so I'll give you the approach mode. Thank you very much. I must say Nick, I'm incredibly impressed. It's on rails. Are you sure the autopilot's not engaged? <laughs> no not actually. <laughs> By the way that's twenty quid I owe you so far. Uh, no worries. Yeah. Uh, I'll get the gear. Thank you. Give you 15. Yeah, 15 coming out. I'll, uh, what I'll do is I'll run the speed standing, you can just follow that, you know. Okay. Okay, I've got ground contact. Uh, no, it's not going to be. The, uh, the Airbus automatically trims when uh, you slip flaps. No, 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 we don't. Oh, there's big handfuls of stuff going on now. That's alright. I've no idea what these two yellow lines are coming down. That looks quite interesting. They're just uh, giving us the points where we Speed, either over speed or under speed. Ah, okay. And then the, the red blocks are the Yeah, we've got the strobes now. Yeah, right in front of us. Yeah, I've got the strobes. The yeah, don't forget you can always go around. And I've got the runway as well in the one o'clock position. Okay. Well I'll take you word for that. What I'll do is I'll the checkerboard. It is there. Okay. Yeah, I've got the strobes in the runway. Yeah, the strobes standing out better than anything else. But uh... you looking out for the washing line? Yeah, it's not nice. Better. You. Yeah. Oh, I can see the board. Yeah, I can see the checkerboard. smell. <laughs> I'm sorry that's last night's curry. Do that for a living. This is way much like two months late hard work. <laughs> oh, 
I don't know what the guys at Duxford Air Museum feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Another great highlight for 2018 for me personally actually was a meetup at uh, Farnborough because uh, obviously that, that show only happens biannually. And I got the opportunity uh, to uh, meet up in person for the first time and have a lovely chat with Dana. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce another APG legend uh, into the fold, if you will. And it, it's so lovely to yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's so lovely You're to finally meet me. in in the actual flesh. Dana, welcome to England. Great to be here, man. How are you? Oh, living the dream, living the dream. So, is this the first time that you've been to an air show here in the UK? Absolutely, first time. Yeah, it's okay. fantastic. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Good, great yeah. people. Yeah, absolutely. A anything here that you've that sort of caught your eye? Have you been? Is this your first day here, or have you been here? No, already? we came here Thursday on the uh, pre-show with no uh, public people so yes, yes that was uh, nice wasn't yeah, it? it was great I got, <laughs> I got my first experience yeah I was diversionized right <laughs> no no offense to to captain Nick, yeah yeah but uh, talking about virgin but I was on my first triple seven I've ever set foot on yeah uh, cutter or guitar however you want to say it yeah. I got to uh, do a tour I was highly disappointed with one thing though and that was that I didn't get to see the flight deck. Oh. I got to see the business class seats, coach class seats, the cab, yeah. the la even saw the lavatories. Yeah. But they had the cabin, the, the door shut to the flight deck. So, but yeah, that was my first experience stepping on that aircraft. See, and, that, was, and that's the thing with a pilot, of course. You, you, you're less interested in all the cabins. Yeah. Things. Yeah. It's all about the business end. Isn't it's it? you it's want all to, you about want the see, business. Yeah. I, I want yeah. to see. I want to see the baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in reality, I've been in the simulator. With, you know, back in in, in America yeah. uh, before. So I've seen it, but it's been so long I forget what the flight deck looks like. So, <laughs> is there um, is there anything that really sort of stands out uh, from the show that you've seen here? Uh, yeah, great people. Okay, <laughs> I was thinking more aircraft. Uh, <laughs> Actually, the thing that did stand out is that they had the A220, which is the yes. C series, um, and I really wanted to get on to that aircraft. And I look behind me, and I'm sad to see it is oh, it is yeah, gone. Yeah. So um, uh, that's because uh, Acme uh, has acquired a, a bunch of them. Okay. And I'm looking to make my decision whether I'm going what I'm going to fly in the future because really? my mad dog is going away and yep. actually last night we had an advanced entitlement that was uh, uh, came out and I was very happy to learn that I'm going to still be a captain. Wow. And I'm not kicked off the bottom yet. <laughs> 58 positions down but that's okay. It's, yeah. it's a good thing. So that's what I was really hoping to do is, is get on this. I keep on looking behind because I'm missing it. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. hoping really look at, at the 320, get inside, take a look at the flight deck, yeah. take a look at configuration of the interior and and uh, get to explore it a little bit but so uh, other than that uh, you know just seeing all these great aircraft all these people with you know when I was up in the media center uh, with Dr. Steph I said to her, I said it's just such an amazing thing to see that so many people just regular people out there come out to air shows and enjoying and, and, and aircraft and, and enjoying just, just aircraft yeah, yeah yeah you know it, most lay people don't understand what we really do for a living and how how it's done but just the the awe of people uh, uh, that they really enjoy just being around this type yeah. of of, yeah. of uh, you know aircraft and, and event and it's the same thing over in the states I mean yeah. that's what's interesting is that 
uh, when I was here on Thursday, it was all the business end. Today, yeah. you see all the families, the kids, and that's yeah. that's absolutely fantastic because these are all these kids. As we hear one, you know, going yeah. by, you know, kind of crying. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're the generate, you know, the generation that we're going to need to rely upon. Yeah because we have this huge shortage coming. So it's really nice to see all this. Uh, one of the things I, I remember from like air shows when I was younger actually, and it is, as you say, it, it's it's the look on the little kids' faces, isn't it? Where they're literally wide-eyed and just loving like, you know, all that. It, it, transport in general is, I mean, it's buses and everything, isn't it? But uh, I mean, especially when you look behind us, obviously we've got the A380 behind us. And I'd never actually seen one for real, really, until we get hit, came here uh, today. Because although we saw one a couple of years ago, it was actually up in the air. Uh, we didn't get close action such a beast yeah i mean I, I i can never get my head around how these things get in the air it's it's just the logistics are mind-blowing it, it, it is an absolute amazing feat i mean if you think about it in, the, in 100 and 100 years a little over 100 years now that we've been in flight yeah uh, where we've come from flying the super ultra light made out of fabric and, and wood to you know these super you know, incredible one machines. one, one Hundred ton or whatever. I don't. I don't even know the numbers on no. it. But it's maybe it's one billion pounds. I, yeah. I have no idea. It's somewhere around there. Yeah. Such a massive aircraft. Get mm. that into the sky. It's mm. it's a major feat of engineering. Absolutely. And certainly yeah. a great thing to be a part of. And, and I've got to you know tell you, uh, just looking at this 380. What I love about the three, this 380 in particular the most is most of you. Uh, well, if you don't listen to you know, our podcast, wouldn't know. But most of you know that I'm a scuba diver as well. Oh and wow! I yeah, love yeah. That not too late for coral reefs on this side yeah. of the aircraft it's beautifully painted which you probably don't have the other side on the other side 2050 it says all coral reefs dead so it's yeah. kind of a poignant point yeah. and i think that's an unbelievable advertising i mean yeah. I, i've never been a big airbus guy yeah. but the 380 especially the 380 because i think it's probably one of the ugliest airplanes in the world <laughs> but it's i mean it's a beautiful mural yeah. that advertises something that I think is very close and dear to my heart. So. Quite, quite, a, quite a bold statement, really. In, very. You know, when many would argue, perhaps, that the, you know, aviation is partly responsible, for, as, as indeed uh, you know, shipping and everything, isn't it, to damaging coral reefs and things like that? Yeah, every, everything we do. I mean, yeah. we, we as a human race uh, tend, yeah. to, tend to litter, and, mm. and uh, that, you know, those things end up going out into the yeah. ocean. As I saw when I was at the pub here in England, I, mm. I saw that they, had, they don't have... Pay, uh, they have don't have plastic straws, I believe. No, no. They have paper straws, yep. which will, are more biodegradable, mm. obviously. Yeah, so. the way, the way um, forward. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's, it's not. It's what I'm really kind of getting at. It's really nice to see that you know so many people here that are here to observe such yeah. you know such greatness in aviation, and then right right here is a mural. It to, to really help educate people that the, the you know that the yeah. coral reefs well, are let's, also let's hope this does exactly that let's yeah, hope it's right, so you know programs like Blue Planet that we get here in the UK that David Attenborough has been quite famous for you know yes. it's, it, to, to try and raise awareness basically I'm going to get myself into trouble by here by mentioning the word food obviously because you're here in the UK how have you found the catering experience <laughs> Oh, I have to say our hosts uh, have been fantastic. The food is just... Uh, all right, so I, I do have to admit one thing. Go on. You, yeah. you got yourself Yeah, that's right. that's right. I do have to admit one thing, is that back in 1987 was my first trip to the UK. Right. I came with a high school tour group. Okay. And the food then was so terrible. Oh. <laughs> it was it was just bland, couldn't mm. find a restaurant that had... And, and back then, my tastes are not were, or were not as refined as yeah. they are now as I'm a grown adult. Mm. But the only place that we could find back then to eat was Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right. All right, so that's all <laughs> we 
ate the whole entire week. <laughs> give me a bucket any day. Any day, yeah. Yeah, well, it's all about comfort. Comfort food. I live in the South now. I don't eat any fried anything. No, no, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm trying to lose that weight. Yeah. But, you know, to be honest with you, we had a fantastic curry meal last night. Yeah. And the the one pub that I've had food at, uh, you know, the liquid diet was fantastic. Yep, that, and, yep. and most people may or may not know this about me, but I'm not a beer guy. Oh. But so far, the beer here uh, that, you know, I've, the, the blondes. Yep. I'm not talking about ladies. I'm talking about blondes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pale ales. Yeah. yeah, pale ales. You know, I had a little bit of fruit, maybe a slice of lime. <laughs> and I've actually been relatively uh, very so happy. Because you're, you're sort of a Scotch guy normally, aren't you? So, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm a vodka bourbon right. Scotch. <laughs> yeah. uh, and anything with an ABV of sort yeah, of 40%. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> Correct, but yeah. I do like you know, like Guinness. I do yeah. like the the uh, once you get into the darker beers, I, I will yeah. drink plenty those of iron. That's that's what that's what they say about the thing. Yeah. Yeah, so, look, so. now it's the first time that we've got the opportunity to interview you and chat to you. And we always ask all of our pilots one question. So, to, to finish up, I'm going to ask you one question Is there, if you take it to the, uh, the world of aviation, a plane that's either flying currently or no longer in service, if you could get into the the you know, the the first, you know, the, the captain's chair of any aircraft in the world, either flying or retired, what would what aircraft would you most love to have a go at? That's a, that's Shut a very, up, that's Carlos. A, that's a, <laughs> Carlos yelled it. He had it, and I actually brought a shirt with me. I'm not wearing it today, but I have two shirts that are very near and dear to my heart. The L-1011 is my the favorite. Oh, no. It's my favorite oh, no. aircraft of all time. <laughs> really? It, it, was, it was the... When I came to London, yep. my first trip, I was on a TWA L-1011. Wow. It was the only airplane that was able to land at Heathrow because it was 0-0. Zero, zero. Okay. So it was so far in ahead of its time. And, you know, the 7-4s are going alternates. The, uh, you know, set, all the aircraft going alternates. L-1011 yeah. was the only one that can get in. And it was, uh, it's just always been near and dear to my heart. I've spent many yeah. years flying on it. I got to ride on it in the jump seat so, a couple of times. So what is it that, that you love about the L-1011? What, 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 what is it that really sort of get, gets the juices flowing? It's those RB-211s, man. Yeah. You hear those things start up in the morning and they go, uh, I'm, I'm not doing it very well, yeah. but there, you can. There are recordings yeah, the, out in the, the way. The spinning up the spinning of the engines up, and stuff. And then yeah. smoking, and then the co the flight deck was very comfortable, and yeah. it was just very majestic. And just the way it flies with you know flies with the direct yeah. lift system, right? And the nose always very high attitude. It just was a fantastic riding aircraft. It's like a Cadillac. Wow. Cadillac wow. in the sky. It was just such a, a beautiful bird. So, well, Dana, it's been absolutely fantastic to meet you. Thank, Thank you, Matt. very much for chatting Appreciate to us. It. And, uh, well, if, they don't, if they're not listening to APG, I don't know why they aren't. So uh, to, if, you, if, if you want to enjoy the show, take yourself to airlinepilotguy.com and uh, you will find Dana, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph and Captain Nick and all the usual crew there, uh, usually once a week. Well, great. Thank you. And PTUK, appreciate the opportunity to... Uh, interview with you guys I've really enjoyed it and great meeting everybody here today and seeing you guys so it's been great person. to meet you thanks Dana thank Cheers. you thank you Bye -bye. next up it's one of my favorite segments actually from our time at Farnborough 2018 uh, this one involved Pip and the legendary Captain Al of course uh, as uh, they gave us a guided tour around the Dassault Falcon 8X hey there everyone it's Pip here and uh, we're on board a rather beautiful aircraft uh, more in my area of the business, we're sitting on a bizjet, but not just any bizjet. This is a Carlos, pay attention. This is a Dassault, not Dassault. 
or any other pronunciation, a Dassault Falcon 8X, which is one of the, the French manufacturer's latest models. And uh, I shall, you'll have a look as Nev pans around in a second, you'll see the interior of this aircraft is absolutely immaculate um, and comfortable and luxurious. This is a, a trijet, it has three engines, we'll put some pictures up on the back. So this is uh, a long-range aircraft, it can fly from Paris to Los Angeles, um, from Paris to Tokyo for instance. Ultra long range, very comfortable, can take probably, let's have a look, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or several in the back, probably at least 18, maybe 19 passengers in style on long range trips. We'll have a look around the cabin in a minute. Down the back there, I'm sure there's going to be a, a main um, lounge, a cabin uh, with a double bed so people can get some sleep on these long trips. You can have, as you can see here, nice civilized business meetings. Uh, we have these tables, we have plenty of storage space over here. There'll be uh, certainly very good Wi-Fi connections. Uh, at the front there, we'll have a look in a minute. There's a very comprehensive galley area as well for cooking and preparing hot meals. Um, as part of the standard service for anyone operating these aircraft, there'll be a, a flight attendant or two who will be uh, well-trained in presenting first-class food uh, for the passengers. So this is an extremely comfortable uh, way to fly. So let's have a look around. So we at SafeJets, we operate the Dassault product. We have done for a number of years. We have a very good relationship with Dassault. We have a number of Falcon 2000 EXs, or the EZ, uh, as it's commonly called. Um, very popular with the pilots. I've never met a pilot who doesn't like flying the Falcon. Uh, Dassault obviously have a real thoroughbred with their uh, production line. They produce many fighter aircraft. Um, so the, the Falcon handling is very crisp and very smooth and very fighter-like. Now, as I say, this is the ATEX. This is one of their later models. We've, as well as the 2000s, we've also had the 7X, although we don't currently have any. But I know it's extremely popular with the pilots and the passengers alike. It's a really very good product. And I hope, uh, I know there's still talks in progress, but I hope that we're going to get perhaps the ATEX or even the 9X in the not-too-distant future. I look forward to it. Okay, so we've moved forward to the front of the aircraft. We're in the galley area now. You can see here, this is, uh, again, very high quality. We've got a nice sink here. Somewhere in amongst all these cupboards and things, there'll be a, a, a microwave, a, an oven for preparing hot meals. Lots of storage space as well for all sorts of... Um, storing the catering. Let's have a little look. Little look at these lovely Dassault-branded china cups. Beautiful. There'll be a fridge here as well. Uh, I'm sure somewhere in here, don't tell Al, but there'll be uh, whiskies and Baileys and all sorts of lovely drinks to keep people occupied for a long flight. So we've, we've moved down to the back of the cabin. If you can see through here, there's the baggage area down there. I'm not sure if you can see that they've got an air conditioning thing plugged into it at the moment. There's plenty of room down there for lots of bags. Uh, also around here is a very nice bathroom. We'll have a look at that in a second. Um, all gold plated. Uh, very Trump-esque, I would say. Uh, here we've got these very nice uh, duvans, these couches, which I'm sure can be um, folded down and a mattress can be placed on top and this converts into a very nice double bed. Um, look at, have a look at this for, for quality. See these nice gold-plated um, seatbelt things? Very nice indeed. 
We have the EFBs as well. Uh, for the chart themselves, it's more a backup. But we have uh, all sorts of software for weight and balance, electronic performance manual, uh, all sorts of uh, yes. software to prepare yeah. the mission. Yeah. We have a similar. I work at NetJets. We have a similar philosophy. We use the the EFB is the primary approved source, but we generally use the charts on the on the screens as the main source yes. of briefing. For me, it makes sense to turn. In, look exactly at the same so, direction yeah, exactly when you so. breathe because yeah. uh, sometimes the other guy doesn't understand and you see it uh, on his face so uh, it's important to to operate like this for me yes mm. it's a very lovely flight deck plenty of room carlos how does this compare to the phantom it's well it's a little bit bigger obviously uh, some room to stretch out. We've got an overhead panel here, which we um, we only have a very small panel on the Phenom, so just for the lights, really. Phenom, no, not a big panel. We just have a little panel here at the front, just mainly for lights. Uh, there's an extra screen here on the Phenom. We have three screens rather than four. They're slightly bigger than this one, uh, and we have the ability to split. I'm sure you can do that here as well, but you can present any screen on any, any way you like. Obviously, there's an extra thrust lever here <laughs> on the Phenom. We only have two. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, this is a trijet. So three engines at the back, which is great for ETOPS operations, extended range across remote areas. So we all know that Matt loves flying. Yeah, right. And especially in light aircraft. Yeah, right. Well, in 2018, <laughs> Matt got uh, the awesome chance to fly with someone I love flying with. Uh, and uh, Matt took a trip out in. Uh, well, you went. You had a trip out in uh, a Piper, I think, with Armando. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, what's the airfield that we were at again? Uh, you were at Ruffham. Ah, yes, that's yes. right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, still to this day, one of the things that surprises me most about that is, um, bearing in mind, I'd literally driven past Halston and Bungie and all that thing to get to sort of the Bury St Edmunds area, which is where it was. Mm. And the scariest thing about that is, within less than ten minutes. Um, we were or like less than quarter of an hour. We were suddenly over Halston, uh, and that that that's one of the things that sort of we think this is a flying is clearly a very cool thing to do. But I have to confess that I did have a little bit of a go of the controls. <laughs> Two directions. Right. We'll go out. So he just told him. 
109, right hand pattern. Okay, so we're gonna go out here to the left. Go all the way to the end, do an engine run up. Okay, thank you. What's, what's an engine run up? That is, we're gonna cycle the engine, put power into it on the ground, make sure everything runs. We'll check both of the ignition systems. Uh, and then we'll check the carburetor heat. Okay, just to make sure that everything is within limits on the ground before we take off. Okay. Is usually good, good form. This is the old B-17 run right here. Wow, that used to be like three times longer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd probably not grass either. <laughs> That'd be a hell of a takeoff. And you can still see the old concrete here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the one that went better. Better. As we're taxiing, I'm checking the directional gyro works. Yeah. Turn coordinator works. I do some turns. The ball does coordinated turn. Thank you. 
a boat, actually. Yeah, the rudder is literally just taking us around. Fair enough. You're almost there. Yeah. Keep that bank in.
as well. With a rich mixture, you just burn fuel unnecessarily. You're literally burning unnecessary fuel. Yeah. That, and, and you're sapping yourself with power. Right, so when you go down into the mountains, whether it's the Alps or the U.S. West or really anywhere, yeah, because you're already starting at a higher density altitude, yeah, we, we would lean the mixture on the ground for the best power to take off out of that airfield. Otherwise, again, you're just sapping yourself with power for no reason. Wow. This is good here. We're below the clouds. Yeah, we get a little bit bumpy, but you, you, you put the power on because we were sort of like starting to drop, and you want to sort of maintain. Well, I pulled the power for the descent. Yep. Okay. And then now we're just back at the same cruise setting yep. that we were at before at altitude. But it's funny, now that we're below the, the cloud face, it's much jumpier than it was. Yeah. Look at that. That looks like a postcard right here. It's something you would see in a painting. Yeah. Very much comfortable country, as they call it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And we're just staying a few hundred feet below the clouds to okay. stay legal. Yep. We really don't want to get below a thousand feet. We could. It's not, a, not an issue. You know, the yeah. guys at, at a Duxford fly all the time. Add below that, but... You, you say to, 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 to keep it legal, what are we does it become so that to be the, the, the issue with because we're a VFR right we're not on a flight plan or anything we have certain clearances above below and to the side of the clouds okay just in case there is somebody flying in cloud right it keeps us clear of that or at least gives oh, us a chance to see them right so we're staying just a couple hundred feet below the clouds and then the flip side of that is we want to be safe so we're staying above a thousand feet if we were to lose the engine, yeah, um, <laughs> I see we did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then we would have enough time to get some flaps in, pick a field, and do a safe landing in any one of these fields. Yeah, the lower you are, the more you're sort of... Uh, is that, is that equipment there, look? Yeah, that's it right there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's got a church in the grounds, look. Yeah, there's a garden and everything. That's ridiculous. What a beautiful building.
get to cheat with this school right here. A great place to aim. <laughs> oh sure, that'll thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, we definitely try to be good neighbors. So about 80 knots, exactly where we want to be. The wind is going to push us a little bit away from the runway. I've got the runway in sight. Well, as you know, on the PTUK podcast, we strive for excellence wherever we can. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes we, we come up a bit short, shall we say. And here are some of those examples. I mean, uh, Mr. Popular here is being phoned, you see. Uh, phoned by work. He's being phoned by work. <laughs> I am not taking you back now. I've had far too much cider. There's no... T <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it sounds like Owen's going to have to cycle back no. to Stanston. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the reason I've been calling it jerk off all night is because that's how the poles tend to pronounce what it right. is. Are you is sure they're not? Are you sure they're not either offering you something, um, or <laughs> you know, it's just like? Are you taking one for the team? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, that could be the other show title. <laughs> that could be taking one for the team. Whilst we're having that story that I read out of the Rotherham Star, if you look at all the other news stories on that page, it looks like a desperate place, Rotherham. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> right then. Uh, I, I, I mean, just, just call it up again here. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, how close to Essex just, is this? I, I cannot imagine how, how grim the place must be. I mean, I've never been there. It's I don't think north, anywhere. Yeah. Um, I was in the north. But, yeah. uh, uh, 
uh, and let me it's just loading up so uh, all right we've, we've got the story that we did which was a lovely story right okay <laughs> happy days <laughs> and then obviously we've got the the violence erupts at south yorkshire workings men's club after a woman attempts to give potter a massage right told. Per- then thieves normal. attempt to steal another cash machine during south yorkshire <laughs> <Ray. laughs> Right. Okay. Residents call for stairwell closure to combat prostitutes and drug dealers. Right. Okay. Search, search lodge for missing Sheffield man. Okay. Men, man's ear <laughs> off in centre and sank. Right. It, Has this um, Sheffield city centre pub installed a massive slide yeah. for drinkers? Gunman hunted after shots fired in rather oh, sorry Doncaster home. Right. Former Radio Sheffield presenter, <laughs> Stan Coma after a hack. I mean, just, it, it, I mean, it must be, it's quite clearly not sponsored by the Rotherham Tourist. <laughs> you know, comparing. Well, that's not even in the crime section. No. <laughs> crime section. Yes, com- compare and contrast that to uh, the first story that we ran about uh, uh, the people in Aylesbury Vale concerned uh, uh, that they could almost touch an aircraft that was four and a half thousand feet yeah, above yeah, them yeah. on the way into Lucy. Extraordinary. I mean, Sheffield Nurseries are to catch unforgivable thieves who stole <laughs> from children in a nursery. Right. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> right. Oh, dear. There's um, either no news in Rotherham, in which case they're <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel, or that's just normal that's just operating normal. procedure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. Investigations yeah. all put into eight murders in Rotherham so far this year. <laughs> <laughs> Metal theft hotspots in Sheffield reveal it's, it's never ending. It's just, I mean, it's a busy. What can we say? It's a busy place. I mean, there's a there's a lot of not necessarily good things going on there. <laughs> for those of the uh, APG community coming over to the UK for farm <laughs> this is not how all of the UK no, no, is. No, no, no. It's really quite. This it's is really just quite an nice isolated yeah. part. It's, no, it's lovely. It really is lovely. I mean, it's a lovely part of the world. You know, unless I really upset Lisa and Lee, I don't think there's going to be any immediate step. Things. It contrasts very much, you know, Nev's Aylesbury Vale and Boggy Machine runs out of cash again, doesn't right, it? Right, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's an alarmingly regular thing. I mean, yeah, at least the, you know, the, the thieves of Rotherham haven't done a drive by steal the ATM. <laughs> <laughs> That is an excellent point, well made. Uh, but I mean, if you if your ATM goes missing, I think I know where it will be. Right. Okay. Yeah. Probably in Rotherham. Indeed. Yeah. That's where we'll send the party immediately to to deal with it. Uh, yes. Uh, are you still there, Nev? Uh, oh yes. No. I, I'm, I'm just. I just can't believe what I'm hearing. But uh, no, uh, having been to Rotherham a number of times in my life, I can confirm that some of these things do actually happen. Right, okay. Uh, <clears throat> right, well, there we are. Surprise to most people in the commercial world. Yeah. Uh, because the Chinese are experts at copying and improving. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it comes as no great surprise that they're doing this with uh, military technology because, after all, you can go and buy in China a Range Rover copy, you can buy a Rolex <laughs> copy. So why on earth can't you buy, you know, an F-35 copy? Um, they can do it. It's just a, 
uh, a skill that the Chinese have developed in copying things. And, you know, some might say that, um, you, you know, copying is the best form of flattery. Well, uh, yeah, the, the the scariest thing about all this is quite often, though, as you, as you were saying, uh, quite often the, the copies end up being better than the originals. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, mean, I remember many years ago going to a street market in Thailand and uh, buying a uh, Rolex copy, and quite clearly it was a copy. And there was no uh, pretending that it was anything other than a copy. Uh, and I'm not going to suggest for one minute... No. Um, that it was worth much more than the five US dollars I paid for it. But it kept bloody good time, <laughs> yeah, which for watches go is one of the primary design specifications. Yes. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Yeah, it was just scuffed and scratched within 15 seconds. But <laughs> it's, it's, it actually lasted about three or four years, that wow. thing did. And, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the gold plating was probably, you know, the, the cause for the massive rash that developed on my arm. But, you know, that's... Where, where did you buy it from again? Uh, <laughs> Thailand. Right, okay. Of course. That is that... the only rash I came back with before you asked. Okay. <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. it cleared up before he left. Yeah. Yes, it did. <clears throat> Absolutely. Less questions when he got home. Good. Uh, Pip, have you stabilised your equipment? Are you uh, Are you all set Ooh. for the final story? Uh, I don't quite know how it's to answer asking uh, about Pip's yeah. equipment. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, it's, it's as stable as it's ever going to be, Matt. <laughs> right, fair enough. I'm sorry I asked. Uh, yes. <laughs> right, the next story, I believe, is uh, courtesy of Amundo, and this is from the cap.news, the cap.news, which seems very appropriate since this is the millinery segment. Yeah, the, the what? <laughs> the millinery? <laughs> right. I, oh. I was expecting a bigger reaction to that gag. Right, okay, sorry. I've been laughing at that for the last few minutes <laughs> while I was reading this story. I thought that was hilarious. Right, good. I'm so Cap. So... News, the, millinery, the millinery segment. Oh, forget, <laughs> it. forget it. I can the hear it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to check the chat room. I'm sure someone... Oh, it's because... That. Hang on. Is this because you come from Luton? <laughs> what? So, uh, isn't Luton famous for hats, or is that somewhere else? Okay, we should have stepped into a slightly weird area, gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> let's keep on. Uh, right, right, let's start okay. all that again. Yeah, nothing from the cap. Nothing, cap from, nothing from the chat room, I'm why, afraid. I, I'm trying to think, isn't that why Luton Town Football Club are known as the Hatters? Oh, I don't know. Oh, that's very, it's very good. Yeah. Uh, Lee, Lee saying yes next to me. <laughs> See, not, not just a pretty face, I'm, you know, educated as well. Well done. Well, you do fly an Airbus, what can I say? Mm. Uh, they do say if you have to explain it, then it's not funny. But in this case, I think it genuinely <laughs> was funny, and it's just you're all too thick to understand. Right, okay. All right, okay. Uh, well, uh, uh, Barbara is Coming laughing. from the person who doesn't have a desk for his laptop. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes, okay. Well, uh, yeah. uh, Richard King has found it amusing, so you're not completely on your own. Barbara Parrish has found it funny. Uh, Dr. Steph has just gone, eh? Uh, no, well, I wouldn't expect <laughs> Steph to get the show title, Pip's Erection. <laughs> moving <laughs> on, moving on. <laughs> Abort. Right, okay. Right, come on, let's get on with this. Let's be See, that was funny. <laughs> Yes, indeed. <coughs> it, it's plain talking UK. It's not Radio Four. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. Fair enough. It, it was quite a high class gag. <laughs> I'll give you that. Yes. Yes, it was. Uh, it was wasted on us, really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. But uh... <laughs> all right. So this is right. Shut it. 
cap.news, which has nothing to do with hats, crap. baseball caps, top hats, or millinery of any sort. This is, in fact, the Civil Air Patrol. Liberation Army has turned to other countries for inspiration when it comes to outfitting its armed forces. Although buying or stealing foreign military technology could be seen as a strategic weakness, China skips expensive and time-consuming R&D. Has someone fallen over? I, th- I think Pitt's fallen off fallen his chair. Over. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah. I'll mute myself while I recover. <laughs> Happy nights, everyone. <laughs> Are you okay? Are you injured? <laughs> yes. Are you all right, Pip? Everyone is concerned. <laughs> I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Save yourselves. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay. Do you know, I knew that was going to bloody well happen when I set this all up. I precariously balanced my laptop on the end of a, a shelf here, a bookshelf. Anyway, do carry on. Yeah. I'll be back. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, one word, Ikea. Right. Second word, desk. Yeah. <laughs> Right, indeed. So, sound uh, advice. Yes, uh, <laughs> expensive to, and time consuming. Ladies and gentlemen, for your chance to win some fantastic prizes in this year's PTUK Christmas competition, all you have to do is answer the following questions. What PTUK episode featured aircraft X-ray Mike 612? What is the ICAO code for the airfield Carlos learned to fly at? Apart from the Rolls-Royce RB211, what other engine has powered the Boeing 757? From these two aircraft, which has the longest fuselage? Is it A, the Airbus A340-600, or is it B, the Boeing 747-8? We all know Nev loves BA, but what year did British Airways form the budget airline GO, and what year did GO merge into EasyJet? What did the Wright brothers do before inventing an aircraft? What year was the film Airplane released? 
what airfield is the Queen's flight based at in the UK? The Concorde is well known for her droop nose and it was used on takeoff and landing so the pilots had an unobstructed view of the runway. On final approach, what angle was this nose selected to? Where is RAF Akratori situated and what is its ICAO code? What year was the airline Virgin Atlantic formed? NASA operate a Boeing 747SP, registration November 747 November Alpha, which is a 41-year-old airframe. But who was the first owner of this iconic airframe? So for your chance to win these amazing prizes, send your answers in to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Best of luck. So that is where we're going to bring episode number 249 of the show to a close. What a fantastic 2018 we've had. And, uh, we, well, we're going to have a fan, even better 2019. So happy new year to everyone. And uh, thanks to everyone who listens and downloads the show. And thanks for everyone's support, especially to obviously our Patreon yes. uh, people as well, who have phenomenally helped us this year yeah. to uh, it's, put the show to where it is now. It has. It's been a, it's been a big year for, for technology upgrades and sort of we're in our own, own little studio now, which is mm. making life so much easier. And uh, as I say, my personal thanks have to go to Nev, as I say. I know I've mentioned it a couple of times already, but uh, people do not realise how much work this guy does behind the scenes uh, to make this show as, as slick as it doesn't appear to be. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I think it's very much a, a team effort, actually, and uh, I really enjoy uh, contributing the things that I do. And do you realise that the next show is our 250? I know, show. the first live show 250. of 2019 Woo-hoo! will actually be our, you know, uh, our 250th yeah. show. And what better way to celebrate that by having the... Uh, I, I think I think she's the queen pin, shall we say, <laughs> of, of uh, this wonderful AP, the APG PT UK community that, yeah. that we're so privileged to be uh, a part of said family. And that is, of course, the lovely Auntie Liz is going to be joining us uh, live, I presume, from Canada uh, for, for our yeah. first show yeah. of 2019. Looking forward can, to that. I can't wait. It's going to be mm. really... It's going to be so lovely to chat to her. It really is. And hopefully she'll have some of the uh, some of her uh, her pets uh, on the camera oh, right. for us as well okay. to see, because <laughs> we do we we are big cats and dog lovers here. We are indeed. on the show. So yes. uh, yeah, so so how how have you been seeing or how will you be seeing in the new year then, Nev? Oh, I think very very minor actually this year. We we tend not to do big New Year things, I have to say, and uh, we nearly always go to bed before midnight, so we're quite boring. <laughs> in that but uh, no, I'd just like to say to you uh, guys, thanks very much indeed for everything that you've done as well uh, for this this last 12 months. We've had a, we've had a great year, oh, attended man. loads of events, and we've got more events and stuff coming up uh, next year. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Uh, very much looking forward to it. Carlos, you're not DJing for New Year this year, No, I, I think after six years of working every New Year's Eve and, and watching... Everyone else have a good night whilst I'm playing. And it's not to say I don't enjoy myself because I do really enjoy myself. But I think this year it'd be nice just to um, have a beer or three. Lovely. Okay. Yeah. With with the lovely Gemma. The yes, of course. Gemma. And Poppy. Yeah. And Poppy. And Poppy. Yeah. She'll be drinking yeah. beer, will she? 
Well, she did sniff my ale the did other day, right. okay. but she wasn't too impressed by it. No, I can. Imagine. But it was a it was a nut ale, so it's, right. Yeah, okay, she yeah. got an allergy, perhaps. Oh, is possibly. That what it is? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, well, I shall be spending New Year actually with a couple of very very good friends of mine, the lovely Kate and Big James, as uh, as I know them, and uh, going to be seeing in the New Year. Actually, just just us three, just going to be a quiet. Sort yeah, of that's not bad. Quiet that's thing. good. Could be really nice. Yeah, it's going to mm. be good. So uh, yeah, here is uh, well, I, we we should really have put sort of. Uh, beverages in our glasses really so here is to a successful 2019 to all of us uh i think it's been uh there we go let's let's do that there we are there we go there's a here's yes. to a very se- successful 2019 to all of us all the best everyone indeed and from all of us here in the studio nev say goodbye yeah cheers guys happy new year indeed take care everyone and from everyone in the studio here as well it is time to say goodbye say goodbye everyone Bye-bye. bye bye bye